Hello, friends. I shared this message a couple weeks ago at the London Seventh-day Adventist Church. I had slides to go along with the message. If you'd like to see the slides, take a look at my blog, PastorDaniel.net, and search for A God of Small Things. Here's the message now. A God of Small Things. You know, when I was maybe 11, 12 years old, my dad taught at the Adventist Academy in Upper Columbia Academy in Washington State. And actually, all of my growing up years, my dad taught at Adventist Academies around the country, different parts of the country. But I remember going over to my dad's office, and my dad was good friends with the math teacher there at the academy. And uh, his name was, was uh, Marvin Thorman. And uh, I remember going into his classroom one day, and uh, Mr. Thorman had a computer program that he had written, and he had his computer connected to a projector there in the classroom, and this computer program was the most amazing thing that I had ever seen. Now, I was always a little bit fascinated by computers, but uh, this was unlike anything that I had ever seen before. His computer program was generating line by line by line a complex, sophisticated, and yet beautiful image that was printing up on the screen. And as I sat there entranced, I asked, what is this? He told me it is something called a fractal. Now, I remember this is before the days uh, of Google and, and this is before the days of a lot of computer graphics in general. And so just seeing a, a grainy picture come up on a, a computer screen was something somewhat revolutionary, at least to my uh, 11-year-old mind. I remember sitting and watching in amazement as he, as he showed this picture, and then he took his mouse cursor and opened up a little window uh, over top of a part of that picture and zoomed in and generated another image on top of it. He could choose any area and blow it up again and again. And so it wasn't long, maybe I was uh, 13 years old or so, I asked my dad to teach me how to make computer programs. Now, my father, uh, he had his uh, master's degree in computer science, so that was, that was no problem for him. He just took me out of his college textbooks and says, here, son, <laughs> in, his, in his classic style. Uh, he showed me how to work through some of the examples in the back of the book. And uh, it wasn't long before I was... I was trying my hand at, at coding. Now, I, I didn't understand really all of what was going on, but uh, I, I loved playing around with it and uh, learning some of the math and the process. Now, I didn't ever really enjoy math in the sense of school and arithmetic and having to learn my addition table and addition and multiplication tables and long division was something else. I, I never liked that, but I loved doing the math on the computer. And uh, I remember I had a background. Uh, my mom uh, is a pianist, and she taught me piano lessons, and she was teaching me a little bit of music theory. Uh, I never really practiced enough to be good at it, and after a while, I kind of gave up on the piano lesson thing altogether. But I still love the music theory. And so I remember uh, studying out some of this music theory as I could with my very rudimentary knowledge of computer programming and and uh, calculating the different 
frequencies of the different notes and the different pitches and the, the ratios. And I was amazed and absolutely astounded to find how these really complex and, and irrational numbers created beautiful harmonic ratios in the different scales, the, the thirds and the, and the uh, in different intervals in the scales, and finding this all using math and computer technology. Well, I went on and my family moved to Kentucky, and uh, I was homeschooled, actually, all my growing up years. But when we moved to Kentucky, our school books somehow stayed in uh, Washington State, and uh, so for several months, we did kind of a non-traditional homeschool by going to the library and checking out library books until our regular school books could come. So, of course, I looked through the library until I found a book about fractals. And it had all sorts of these beautiful and amazing and complex images that were just uh, blew my mind. And uh, it wasn't long before I started trying my hand to try to write a computer program like the one I had seen the math teacher write. The thing about this is, this is a Mandelbrot set, by the way. For um, If you zoom in on a small portion of this image, you find something that looks like this. And you can keep zooming in on it until you find little miniatures of the same thing over and over and over again. That's the definition of a fractal, by the way. It is a an image that is self-similar at different scales. You keep zooming in on it, and you find little miniatures of the big piece. And soon I learned to write my own computer program to generate those images. And I was, I was pretty proud of myself, I have to say. But what good is math, what good is all of this abstract stuff if it doesn't relate to the reality of the real world? I mean, it's all kind of pretty and interesting and esoteric and whatever, but it turns out that the scientists who are studying, and I, I didn't invent this, by the way, I, I kind of stumble along following some examples in a book, <laughs> but the scientists who are, who are discovering this and finding this through the middle of the 20th century as computer technology begins to emerge, discovered that this is another realm of geometry that helps us to explain phenomena that we see in the real world that we had no real way of explaining and measuring up until this point. You know, clouds are not spheres. Mountains are not cones. Coastlines aren't circles. Bark is not smooth. Nor does lightning go in a straight line. How do you find geometric shapes that describe many of the things that we find in nature? such as the clouds. How do you find, how do you measure them? How do you explain them using math? Well, fractals offered a way for scientists to begin to measure and explain and model some of these real-world phenomenon. You see, fractals are shapes, like I said, that have repeating uh, patterns that repeat at all different scales. These are all different computer-generated images um, the triangle, of course, I like to ask people, how many triangles are in that triangle? Start counting. It'll take a long time to count them all. <laughs> the fern is actually a computer-generated image, as is the, the snowflake. How many little snowflakes do you see 
in the snowflake. Now, they're not perfect models of the real world, but they give us an, a, a glimpse into how you can use mathematical formulas to model things that we find in the world. Take, for example, the branching veins on a leaf. Now, you see a few of those are straight lines, but in between those straight lines, you see smaller and smaller and smaller lines going down all the way to the level of the cells. If you could take off... Wow, I skipped over. What about a tree? Take a look at a tree. Look at this tree over here. You see how it comes up? Sturdy trunk, then the branches come off. But if you look at one of those branches and just zoom in all the way, the branch looks very much like the tree that it came off of. In fact, if I broke off one of these branches and planted it in the ground, it would look very much like the original tree. Maybe a little more crooked, but you get the idea, right? If we were to take off in a spaceship and fly up over London and Barberville and Pineville, and I don't know if you can see this picture very well, it's a little bit dark, but you see the branching tributaries of the watershed of the Cumberland River. Do you see any similarity to the tree that we saw in the last picture? How is that? Or what about this picture of Laurel Lake? How is it that the arms of the lake come and, and, and come out in every direction and almost fill the entire space around the lake? You know, not Laurel Lake, but Lake Cumberland, I'm told, has 1,200 miles of shoreline. Now, that take a long time to walk around. How can a lake that's less than 150 miles long have 1,200 miles of shoreline? Well, it's because of this fractal pattern that the lake forms. Just to give you an idea, here is a computer-generated model of a lakeshore. It's not a circle. It's not a square. It's a very complex, shall I say, a fractal-type of pattern. Here's a pattern. These are the mountains in northern British Columbia and the panhandle of Alaska. I've actually been in, in some of these mountains when I was very young. When my family lived in British Columbia, we went up to visit these mountains. Take a look at the pattern. Here's a pattern of frost on a window pane. How is it that the that entire mountain range holds a similar pattern to little crystals of frost on a mountain range? Is it by some fluke of evolution? Did mountains evolve from frost crystals? I don't think so. Or is it possible that a grand designer has designed a world with a beautiful and magnificent order that transcends any thought of evolution. Now, if you look down inside your body, you could see tiny cells, capillaries and veins. Any living organism those veins in the organism, whether it's a plant or an animal, go down all the way to the cellular level and they form a beautiful and perfect pattern. The thumbprint, if you will, of design, of an omnipotent and omniscient creator. Here's a picture 
actually my father-in-law took this a few years ago, of the back of my eye. <laughs> it's a special machine, and they, they use this in optometry to, uh, to see if there's anything going wrong in, in the retina of your eye. But notice the branching patterns, the fractal, if you will, in living things. How can this happen? Who taught biological things math? Who taught the plants or the cells of your body to count? I believe, and I submit to you, that it was a loving and benevolent creator. One of my favorite natural fractals is, a, is the fern. How many copies of the fern frond do you see in the little leaflets that come off of the frond, and even the smaller leaflets that come off of it? How big is a leaf of curly kale? Maybe about this long? I don't know. Not that big. I wonder if you were to trace the length of the edge of that leaf and straighten it out in a straight line, how long of a line it would be. I don't know, I've never tried it. Or what about the beautiful symmetry in this head of cauliflower? You know, a lot of people have come up, tried to come up with a lot of explanations about how we got here, about how this world is the way it is. Of course, the most popular theory is the theory of evolution. It all just happened by chance. I don't know about you, when I look at designs like these, somehow I have to believe that there was a designer. If you look at a jet airplane flying overhead, and then I were to tell you, you know that jet airplane? Well, a whirlwind went through the junkyard, and it came out flying on the wing. <laughs> if you see design, my friends, it's a very good evidence that there is a designer behind that design. There's a story that explains the design that we see in the world around us. It's a story not found in the pages of an evolutionary textbook, but in the pages of this book that I hold in my hands. The pages of the Word of God. And if I open this word to the very first words of the very first chapter of the very first book, it tells me, in the beginning, in the beginning, who? God. In the beginning, God created. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. He opened his mouth and he spoke. And a beautiful, magnificent universe came into being through the power of his word, the power of his voice. From the biggest world to the smallest atom, a picture of perfect beauty. In six days, 
He created this world. And on the seventh day, the day of perfection, if you will, the day when everything was complete, it says that he rested to commune with the beings, the human beings, that he had created. Yes, my friends, if this Bible is true, he is the God who created the universe. He is the God who holds the world in his hands, the mighty, the transcendent, the powerful God. And yet, in the smallest creature of this world, yes, even in the smallest cell, we see the fingerprints of one who cares for little things. And that's why I've called this message today the God of small things. The God of little things. What do I mean? Do I mean that God is small? No. God is bigger than you think he is. Creating stars and galaxies? That's pretty huge if you ask me. But it's even bigger that he cares for you and me. In Psalms chapter 8, we read these words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. The prophet Ezekiel saw in vision the God of heaven riding in a magnificent chariot with magnificent turning wheels, big wheels and little wheels. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel in your Bibles. I'm not going to put all, this, all the verses on the screen today. I want you to get out your Bibles and work for a minute. Ezekiel chapter 1, and verse, starting in verse 16. We find the story, the account of this vision. Talks about how in the verse, verses 3 and 4, verse 4, When I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud and raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. This incredible vision of fire and glory, the glory of heaven, the glory of a world out of this world. And verse 16, the appearance of wheels. Uh, let me see. Verse 15, now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. He's, he's already described these incredible and beautiful and magnificent living creatures that we can hardly even imagine with our, with our minds, much less picture with our eyes. And next to each creature is a wheel. In the appearance, verse 16, the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of burl. And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. What is a wheel in a wheel? Does it sound like something big, something very big, and something very small, all working together in perfect harmony? My friends, this is the picture of heaven. This is the picture of the universe. Picture the distant galaxies. Hundreds, millions of light years across. 
all it would seem orbiting around some unseen center. And within those galaxies are stars, and around those stars are planets that circle round and round, always going in their appointed course, never straying from the track that God has set them in. And around those planets are moons, the circle, and sometimes rings like the rings of Saturn, circling around and around, all in perfect order and harmony. Sometimes when I talk about this, people will say to me, who says that there's other worlds, there's other planets? Well, of course, we can see other planets, but do we? is there life on those other planets? Is there life in this universe, outside of this world that we live in? What do you think? Well, we have a little glimpse into this universe. If we turn to the book of Job, and I've put it up on the screen, Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, there was a day, it says, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth in it. You know, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. Now, he is not a prince of this world because he was given this world, but because he usurped that authority from Adam, who was made the prince of this world. But it says in this heavenly council that the sons of God came together. Now, who are the sons of God? It doesn't appear that any humans were there. Job certainly wasn't there, but Satan was there. But, but there were someone else there. The sons, the many different sons of God in this heavenly council. And when God says to Satan, where did you come from? And Satan says, I came from the world, from the earth. It is as though Satan is identifying a specific place as opposed to perhaps another world or another place that some of these other sons of God had come from. Now, I know it's a little sketchy evidence, but if we look in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, speaking of the glory of Christ, I don't have that on the screen, but you can look it up. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. It says of Christ... that God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Notice that last phrase. Through whom also he made the what? The worlds. It says in the New King James. Different translations say it differently. Some say he created the universe. Through whom he made the worlds. And it really speaks to me and says that this universe is bigger. God's creation is bigger than the earth that we walk on. You know, this is not to say that it's inconsistent with the creation account. We read in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. What are those? The sun and the moon. The sun and the moon. And it says he made the stars also. But it does not, now maybe I'm getting a little heretical here, it does not say that he made all the stars in the universe on the fourth day of creation. It says that he made the stars also, but it does not limit the fact 
that he made the entire universe on the fourth day. And from, from the other evidence that we have, it would seem plausible, in fact, it would seem the only logical conclusion that God had created other beings long before this world existed. We find in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it talks about how there was war in heaven. There was war in heaven. This is before the world was created because right after the creation, we see the serpent there in the tree, right? There was war in heaven. Let me see if I can break it down, what I'm trying to say. For eons of eternity, God, the loving God, the one who has wanted nothing more than to be in companionship with loving creatures that he has created, for eons of eternity has been making worlds, has been making beings who, want, who love and praise him, beings like the ones that we find there in Ezekiel, the ones who are praising him and honoring him and glorifying him, and every one is a perfect piece, a perfect picture of his character of love. As it were, a part of the great fractal of love. And for eons of eternity, God has been doing this, and the universe has existed as a universe of love. Until one day, one day when Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend above the clouds. I want to be like the Most High. And Lucifer, for no reason except himself, chose to rebel against God. And it says in Revelation 12 that there was war in heaven. And for the first time in all of eternity, this great picture of the universe, this fractal, if you will, was broken. It was torn apart and one small corner of the universe began to follow a different formula, a different set of rules to try to make their own way in the universe without the God who had created them. It started, of course, with Lucifer, who became Satan. It spread to many of the angels. It says that his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. And then sadly for us, it spread to this world. Because Lucifer, Satan, was allowed to inhabit a tree. That wasn't the bad part. The bad part was that we, Adam and Eve, Eve first and then Adam, you can't blame one or the other more than the other because they both did, took of that fruit and ate of that fruit and allowed sin to come into this world. And the beautiful and perfect picture was marred. It was broken. You know, it would seem, in light of this, that it would have been so easy for God to take this one little world, this one little speck of creation, and just blot it out and make a new one. He could have done that. He could have done it so easily. It wouldn't have been any effort at all. But you see, that wasn't the point. Because as I said, God is a God of small things. And because God is the God of small things, just as much as he is the God of big things, he couldn't let this one little world 
go to waste. He couldn't leave us to our own devices. He couldn't just blot us out of the universe, even though it would have been easy for him. But this is what's amazing. This is what's amazing. That God cared for the littlest world, for the littlest things, because he cares for you and for me. This picture really put it into perspective for me. You know this. This is the planet Saturn. It's a, it's a real and actual photograph. It looks a little bit strange because we don't usually see it from this perspective. But this was taken by the spaceship Cassini. It was a, uh, a robotic space probe that was sent out a number of years ago. And in this particular picture, the space probe is flying in the shadow of Saturn, behind Saturn, but with the sun is, is, is eclipsed by the planet. And uh, they took the picture in several different wavelengths and composited the picture together on September 15 of 2006. But I want you to notice something that you might not be able to see from where you're sitting in this picture. So I'm going to put a circle around it. Right here in the edge of the ring of Saturn, do you see a little tiny dot? Do you see that tiny dot? It's kind of hard to see. You might have to come up later and, and look at the picture a little closer. It looks like the dot is in the ring, but it's not. It's actually behind the ring quite a number of miles, about 900 million miles past Saturn. That little dot is Earth. That is our planet. That is where we live. And that is the world that Jesus cared about. For God so loved this little tiny world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, who is Jesus? He is the one we read a moment ago who created the worlds, created the universe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. Praise God. Why would God care for such a small speck of the universe? I can't answer that question, but I can tell you he does. I can tell you he does. But let me ask you this. If God could care for such a small speck in the universe that much, do you think he cares for you? Do you think he cares about you personally, individually? Do you think he cares about every little thing in your life? About the little trials that you go through? About your family? About your job? About the keys that you lost? About... My computer. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was a, it was just a few weeks ago. I may have shared this at prayer meeting, I think, but um, I was working on on a uh, project for my mother-in-law. Actually, uh, she had lost some files on her computer, and I was working to recover them. And I'd actually spent time on several days trying to recover these files, and I had gotten them all recovered. And I 
I uh, did one little thing and lost everything that I had recovered. And I was so sick. I was like, I have done it. There's no way I can get them back because I've, I've already recovered them once. And, and the way I had done it, there's no way that I can get them back. And I got down on my knees and I just prayed. And I said, Lord, I've blown it. I, and I was just being careless. I'd gotten up early in the morning and I wasn't quite awake yet. And I was, you know how you, you get when you're just not really thinking and I had blown it. And I said, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I just prayed. And you wouldn't you know it, within a few hours, it wasn't right away, but just a few hours later, a thought came to me. You know what? There was one thing that you didn't delete on this hard drive. And I went back, and sure enough, everything was there. And I had to say, thank you, Lord. Because if it hadn't been for him to tell me, I would have just given up. But my friends, there is nothing that is too small for God to care about. He says in Matthew 6, and I want you to turn there with me as we close. Matthew chapter 6. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Does God care about little things? He says in Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than what? Many sparrows. Yes, our Heavenly Father is the God and the creator of the universe, but I like to think of him best as the God of small things. Because it's by working through the smallest things that he is restoring again that perfect harmony, that perfect fractal of the universe. And one day soon, the blight of sin will be no more. And Jesus has taken the curse for us. And he's broken the power of sin in our lives. But my question is this for you today. What about you? What about your life? Is there anything too small for him to care about? Now, I'm not saying he's out to get you, but there is, is there any area of your life that you haven't surrendered to him? Because he, just, he didn't just come to forgive you. Yes, he does that, and praise God, he does. But he came to transform you. He came not only to re redeem your life, but he came to transform your life so that you can once again be part of this beautiful picture of the universe, this beautiful and perfect whole. And so that your tiny little life and every little area of it can be a perfect reflection of the harmony 
of the universe. Will you let him? I'm telling you, he's got his eye on you. <clears throat> o loving Father in heaven, Lord, you are the great God of the universe. Would we praise you today even more because you are the God of small things. That you looked on this tiny little world and sent your son to die for each one of us. Amen. Lord, we cannot comprehend this magnificent gift. But Lord, we know that you watch over us each and every day. And Lord, we give our hearts and our lives in full surrender to you. Because what else can we give? Because you have given us your all. And Lord, may you day by day make us fit to be part of your eternal kingdom and restore us again to the beautiful and perfect picture of the universe, yes. which is the picture of your love. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.